This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson Smythe. So, first up, a word on our sponsors. Gibberet has been creating bathrooms that combine sleek aesthetics and modern design with industry-leading technology for 150 years. That is a very long time. What were they even baking back in 1870? Well, the founder, Caspar Melchior, known as Gebert, invented the wall-hung loo. Fact. And it's one of the most popular choices for modern bathrooms today, obviously. And in 1905, Gebert made the Phoenix, which was, wait for it, the world's first wooden cistern with a flushing mechanism. Oh, that is so cool. A wooden loo. Who knew? <laughs> anyway, they're still innovating now, as you will see if you visit their website at gebberit.co.uk. As the motto goes, inspiring bathrooms designed for life. So thanks to Gebert for supporting the show. Now, Kate, what have we got coming up on today's show? First up, we're going to have a chat about lockdown decorating. Going to talk about what you've been doing in all this time where you may not have access to the usual materials. And then we've got an interview with lighting expert Sally Story, and she knows everything about what she calls decorating with lighting. It's fascinating. And we've got some top tips as well. And lastly, we're going to look at creating mood boards, both real and digital. And your favourite thing, making a swatch box. (laughs) Tune in to find out what one of those is. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) finishing off with a bit of a cultural crisis to be addressed in our listener style surgery. Now, before we go any further, I've got a bit of an admission to make. We've had a, this is due to my rural uh, Wi-Fi situation, a bit of a technical hiccup. So there's going to be a change in quality for this next section. But Kate makes such an iconic admission of complete historical importance that I've twisted our producer, Kate Taylor's arm, to keep this segment in and sweep it up from the cutting room floor. This all started because I'd asked Kate if she'd been doing any lockdown decorating. Well, I I wouldn't go quite that far. Um... (laughs) I tell you what, though, people have, haven't they? I mean, on our 
on our Facebook page, the Great Indoors uh, podcast on Facebook. People have been going hammer and tongue at the decorating. I think it's so admirable. I mean, I have to say, I, you know, I can barely get the laundry put away from the washing machine. Um, But I am inspired nonetheless to look at what people have been doing. I think there've been some really clever ideas, just using kind of odds and ends and things that people have got looking around. And one I wanted to flag up because I was in awe of this is Penny Tompkins, who actually contacted me to say how much she loved your new stripy blinds in your study. And I said, oh, they're made from mattress ticking told her all about it, told her where to get some. And the next thing I know, she's messaged me to say that she'd got some blinds in her dining room that she didn't like. So she'd taken them apart and she was going to remake them using the mattress ticking material, but keeping all the sort of old blind mechanism. I thought that was so clever. That's so clever because it's not only being, you know, inventive when we're restricted. I mean, obviously, she could order the fabric online. And I, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but here in the UK, I know people can still get hold of fabric and paint to a degree, even though we can't go out to stores. And some of the DIY stores are doing click and collect, but apparently it's not been that easy. But if you can get a bit of paint or a bit of fabric online, then you just have to be really thrifty. Well, I would imagine so. And it's just so clever because actually I don't know how to make a blind, but I'm guessing if I was taking one apart and looking at how it had been done, that sort of gives you a a backwards tutorial, doesn't it, in looking at how it's been done so you could do it yourself. The other thing which I thought sort of spinning off from the from the deconstructing to reconstructing was years ago, my mother got really into making lampshades. And I was thinking, actually, if you've got some leftover remnants of material, you can either, you know, buy a lampshade frame. And I think, again, you could probably still get those delivered. Or you can take apart a lampshade you don't like and have a go at recovering it with some bits of material you've got. You know what I've even done is if you've got like a simple drum lampshade, they're the easiest to cover. The thing is as well with lampshades is they have a sort of liner, which is a diffuser and it's also fireproof um, inside the lampshade. So sometimes it's quite good to keep that intact and then just choose your fabric and stick that over the top and um I think I've got a tutorial of how to do that on my ancient YouTube channel (laughs) dig that one out of the archive there you go you just yeah it's just some fabric glue some pegs to peg it all in place while the glue's drying it's actually quite simple to do that's a really good idea and also again sticking with fabric remnants cushion covers if you've got a sewing machine because it's straight lines and if you know you don't have to have a zip you could do you know do it up with a button or even maybe make it like a pillowcase and have that flap but the other thing is you don't have to have you know uh, the the same pattern back and front so it doesn't matter if you've got odd remnants you know you could have pattern on the front and plain on the back or do a bit of your favorite pattern clashing so I thought that was quite a good idea well I love the way you're musing over all of these I can't see you doing any of them for a minute no clearly <laughs> oh, yes. I'm not I going to do any of them <laughs> I love and admire the fact that it's out there and it's being done by people who are so much cleverer than I am. What are you, what are you doing then? You're all about I'm all talk. I'm loving the idea of everybody baking and cooking and all these people going, oh, this is such a great opportunity to be healthy. I'm stuffing my face in biscuits, chocolates, crisps. <laughs> and never eaten so much pizza as I have in the last month. <laughs> but have you done any lockdown decorating? I haven't done any lockdown decorating. I've had my online course to launch last month. Then Arthur started online schooling, which has nearly tipped me over the edge. I can't even begin to tell you. 
So, no, and annoyingly, I have bought some of Annie Sloan's lovely chalk paint. I bought it especially thinking, well, me and Arthur could do some lovely projects together because what's great about chalk paint, which is a, a sort of furniture upcycling paint, is that it's got low toxicity. It's really easy to use and get the kids involved. And you get that lovely transformation of a brown, tatty, unloved piece of furniture. And you can literally transform it in a matter of, hours into complete colour joy so that would be my top tip and as I said I've got the paint I've got the brushes I've just got to get my head around humanities maths English and citizenship oh you don't want to worry about that I do know actually that um Annie Sloan is still delivering isn't she so yes lots of possibilities for furniture painting I have to say that I've seen various things of people saying oh now is the moment to repair your windowsills and paint your skirting boards and you think do you know what there's no joy there's no joy in that I just want to be in theory making pretty cushions and painting the furniture I want things that are going to make me feel happy and I I do think that it's one thing we have to sort of consider is you know in this mania to to redecorate the house now that we're in it and we've got the time I, I'm worried that you know the things that we are craving now in terms of colour might not be what we actually want when we come out of this. So I would caution against, you know, the big room redecoration and maybe just go for smaller things because, you know, it might all change. As I Did I tell you, I, I'm being really drawn to this kind of saffron yellow shade, which I keep seeing, <laughs> you know... What am I saying? I'm so glad we've got this on tape. I'm, you know, I'm a bit Stop worried. the press. I'm a bit worried about myself. I may need to refer myself for help. But I keep seeing it, this kind of ochre, saffron, and I keep looking at it and thinking how beautiful it is and thinking I really would like a yellow kitchen. And then I'm like, hello, who even am who I? Who even are you? I know. So what I'm saying is... What you want now in lockdown may not be what you actually want in real life. So I am not going to paint my kitchen until we are out of this and my sanity has returned to previous curmudgeonly levels, at which point we will see again whether I like yellow. Well, people are talking about, you know, the planet going through a big um, rebirth, the whole of civilization getting completely remodelled. And you are obviously going through a similar kind of... I'm obviously having a breakdown. I'm having a breakdown. You know when they have that joke that it's like, you know, what would be the sentence you would have if you were kidnapped to let everybody know that you'd been kidnapped? Basically, if you ever get a letter from me when we're not in lockdown, when I've written to you, I've just painted the kitchen yellow, you will know I've been abducted by aliens. Oh, I've had a really serious breakdown and you're to intervene. (laughs) (laughs) So I am saying I am all up for lockdown redecoration. But, you know, I just I'm advising a bit of caution at this stage. (laughs) Oh, it's the best thing I think I've ever heard. I think it's amazing. I mean, you know, yellow is a happy colour. Maybe you just, you know, literally is sunshine in a tin, isn't it? Hmm. Moving on. (laughs) 
I don't know where do we go from there that's just fantastic well, I'd love to know what all our listeners think of Kate Watson Smythe painting her kitchen yellow I just really want you, the comments to come rolling in with that one we should do a poll should she do it shouldn't she do it how about that what I would be interested in is knowing if any listeners have had similar you know rushes of blood to the head when it comes to decorating about things they might do you know my whole decorating motto anyway is just to go for it listen to the gut maybe st- the world stopping and us all standing still for five minutes is giving people a chance to really work out what it is they love what it is they like and maybe now is the time to just stop take stock listen to your heart and paint your kitchen yellow do let us know your decorating tips you can find us on instagram where i'm sophie robinson interiors and she's mad about the house and of course do join in all the chat over on the great indoors podcast facebook group Now, Sally Story is one of the country's leading lighting experts and she's design director for the residential lighting experts, John Cullen. She studied architecture and talks about loving the way lighting can manipulate a building. And she has actually manipulated a long list of buildings around the world, from Claridge's to Lord's Cricket Ground to the Grand Hotel in Cap Ferrat, and now, possibly, your living room. I managed to sort out the tech long enough to have an interview with her where we both sat in our respective duvet tents and she gave us some ideas for sorting out the lighting in your home where you perhaps don't need to call in an electrician and also some ideas and planning tips for later on. So have a listen and see what you think. So, Sally, here we are. We find ourselves in these strange circumstances, living and working from home, often trying to do all those things in the same room. Is there anything we can do to improve our lighting during this current period, which which doesn't involve calling out an electrician? I think the most important thing is to think, where am I going to be working? Because what you want to do in this period is try and change the mood between your working day and your relaxing moment. And I think that's really key. So one of the things is to have a good light around you. And it might involve moving lights from other rooms in order that you have enough light where you want to work. If you're lucky enough to have a task light, make sure that's on your kitchen table or where you're working. And other things I've done is if there isn't enough light, I've even considered removing the shade so I get more ambient light And then I put the shade back on at night to make it softer. And what's nice is creating pools of light for the evening. But what you need when you're working is actually a good ambient light. That's a brilliant idea, actually, isn't it? Because you get almost that sort of industrial task light. Yes. And as you say, then pop the lampshade on in the evening. I think that's a really good idea. Um, So... Moving on from sort of things we can do without an electrician, Sally, I know you work in gardens, you work inside houses, you've worked on hotels, on boats, I mean, you name it, you've lit it. Um, There must be perhaps some common lighting mistakes you see, perhaps in, uh, let's talk in, in residential homes. Have you got any sort of suggestions for common lighting mistakes you see and how we can put them right and let's assume that you know we might be noticing those mistakes now and we will eventually be able to call in an electrician to put them right but what are the sort of most common howlers you see? One of the things 
in my mind, that is the most important thing with lighting is the layering of lighting. So if you are going to have a pendant, and actually chandeliers are back in fashion, please do think of dimming them. But don't have those as the only light source. Add lamps at a lower level, even up lighters in the corners of a room, because the more layers of light you have, it's like building up a palette of interiors with different textures, the more interest you get. And that little reading light beside the sofa gives a sense of intimacy. And then a lamp beside on a chest of drawers or on a table. There are so many things you can do by just what I call giving pockets of light around the room and layering with light. Is there a a sort of general rule of thumb? I mean, I'm not one to go too much for rules, but as a guideline, I've sort of, you know, you read that so-and-so says you should always have nine sources of light in a room and someone else says you should have three. Um, Roughly speaking, is there a sort of rough formula that, that you adhere to? I think a formula is difficult, but if you think about it, you've got to think of your general brightness. That might be from your lamps or a pendant, and that would be one layer of light. Then there's the intimate things of the focuses. Have you got lights on pictures, or could you build in shelf lighting? So those are creating pockets of light that could be brighter, giving more accent, and then you've got your almost your lower level of light, which is probably ends up being the table lamps. So how, how many there are is I try and think of not leaving an area totally dark. I want the areas of darkness in between, but I do want to be able to see different parts. But one corner of the room might have a low-level uplighter plugged into it that then catches on the corners. The other side of the room might have some lamps either side of the sofa. I try and create little points of highlight, but knowing that when they're all brighter, I've got a big, a lot of ambient light. But then when dimmed, you dim the ambient and you bring up the accent light. Do you find, um, and I'm interested to know this because, you know, it's a question I'm always asked, you know, if I go to someone's house and I, I don't like the colour on the wall or, or I don't like the way the room is arranged, you know, am I uncomfortable in that space? And people ask me, obviously, because I write a lot about interiors. Do you find that you react if you go to friends' houses or clients' houses where the lighting is all wrong? Does it make you a bit sort of itchy? (laughs) Uh, That's a tricky one to think about. I suppose um, I am one of those people who the last thing I want to do is sit underneath the downlight. You know, when you see those new developments with grids of downlights, I'm just thinking, gosh, I don't want to sit directly under it with the shadows all over me. How does one then light a room or how do they get round that? Because they don't know where people are going to put the furniture. So are we saying ban the spotlight so as to avoid the grid? My feeling is that spotlights have their place and they should be used not as a grid. One of the things that's really interesting is they're laying out as the floor plan. But when you're sitting in a room, what you're looking at is the walls and elevations. And that's what's forgotten about. So if only when they were being positioned, they related to the walls that could be lit, adjustable so they could light a piece of art or not. And maybe also there are certain areas where naturally there will be the table because the room isn't big enough 
that the only place for the central island in the kitchen is in a particular place, that you can make decisions. And one of the things I often feel they should do is allow the cabling for whether it's a pendant, but often you could do it for two different positions. Don't provide the fixture because that's for the owner to choose. But actually, you could provide more flexibility. But I think the problem is they're scared because they're thinking on plan it looks better as a grid, but when you're in the room, it no longer does. So that's actually a really good tip for anyone listening who is perhaps planning an extension or moving to a new house, is the way then to do it to sort of slightly put the floor plan to one side and, and be in the space. And even if you don't know exactly where you're going to put your furniture, you can assume that you uh, have a window there which you might want to light and, as you say, the table in the centre of the room. So it's a, it's a new way of planning lighting. I think unless the room is very, very large, there are often a set number of arrangements the furniture can be used. So you can make certain decisions. I also think if you've got a larger room, one of the things that tends to happen, particularly with sockets and lamps and things, is they get all positioned around the perimeter of the room when actually your sofa is going to be in the middle of the room near maybe the fireplace. And one of the things when you're planning, do think of using floor sockets as well. And one of the other things I always think about in planning is, it's one thing plugging them into your power 13 amp sockets. But if you are planning things from scratch, do put in a lighting ring because then it means you can turn all the lamps on and off by the door which is so much more simpler than actually having to turn them all on and off by hand. No that's a really good tip. So on that note Sally is it possible for you to give us a sort of highlight of top tips to think about that perhaps people might want to to be the most important thing to consider in a room. I mean, I've read that in a bathroom, if you can have wall lights either side of the mirror because side light is more flattering than overhead lighting. Is that true? Without a doubt, thinking of the bathroom, wall lights either side glowing will give you an even light on either side of the face is very flattering. Oh, we want that then. <laughs> and, you, and also you want to not have the shadows of a single down light. Often I might use both. I'll want the good lighting around the mirror to light the face, an even light from either side so you avoid the shadows. The down light might be directed towards the mirror to do more effect of creating sparkle on the vanity unit itself. But there are also other ways. You might decide that the mirror could be halo lit, so it's lifted off the wall and you have lighting behind it that lights the wall and bounces off each of the side cheeks. And that could be another good way of task lighting. I think one of the things that I think of about a bathroom is if you're doing it from scratch and maybe after this lockdown period, people will be taking mini projects around thinking, I want my bathroom to give me the feeling of being spa-like in the evening and functional in the day. And lighting is one of those ways you can really achieve it. So the down lights and maybe the two wall lights might be quite functional. Then you might be able to have the mirror floated. It could be that you could even incorporate up lights into the windowsill or behind a freestanding bath. And that's almost appearing like candles at night. And you could even make simple white tiles look sexy by 
putting down lights very close to them and skimming down the surface of them. And that too adds a different dimension. It's just fascinating. I mean, it's such a huge topic. But I know that John Cullen Lighting run masterclasses where people can go and and get advice and learn about it. And I understand that at the current time, you're running webinars. Is that the case? So that anybody can join in and get some lighting advice? What we've been doing is webinars in a small way. So it's 25 minutes and we've done one on open plan living. We've done one on gardens. We did one yesterday on bathrooms. We've got one next week on bedrooms and we've just launched a new program to talk about other areas too. So the idea is we talk through a plan of a space and give you ideas of how to light it, but whether traditional or contemporary, so it's suitable for all. That's absolutely fantastic. We will include all those details on our blog, Sally. And can I say thank you so much for sparing the time to talk to us and to put up with the tech. There's been some fantastic tips and I know I'm going to look at my own lighting in a new way again. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I've loved chatting to you in these extraordinary times and circumstances. So a huge thanks to Sally for helping us all out with some lighting tips there. And a reminder that all the details about her webinars will be on our blogs, imadaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. And also you'll find details of up and coming webinars on the John Cullen website. So do go over there and have a look. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now, Sophie, you say you haven't done any decorating, but I seem to recall that you've got a new sofa, you've completely redecorated the boring white box study of doom, and even the new blinds that we were talking about on the top of the show. So what's going on? Yeah, no, we were mad busy decorating the house um, before lockdown. It was literally to the wire, actually. (laughs) And then there were still a few things that I could do with a carpenter coming back. Actually, I know I'm married to a builder, but he's not so keen on doing my architrave and fitting me a door, especially when there's lovely sunshine and a treehouse to build in the garden. So yes, first of all, the white box of doom. So as has been discussed many a time on this podcast, I made the decorating mistake. Funny enough, someone said to me on a live Facebook last night, I love the way you admit to making mistakes. You're a designer, you admit to making mistakes. And I think, yes, wholeheartedly I do because, you know, interior design, I genuinely believe is an art not a science there's no magic recipe that you follow and if you measure out all the ingredients accurately you'll get the perfect room it is something that it's got nuance to it you need to think it through it needs to be a slow thing and yes sometimes you put a color on the walls in my case it was white (laughs) quite what I was thinking I do not know that was your equivalent (laughs) of my yellow you see it was. It totally was. I just didn't know who I was then for a minute. Someone who has a really clear car mind. And I'm just not that person. But you say there's no recipe to it. Now, I get it's not like baking where you have to be very precise about the 
levels of the ingredients. But actually, you know, we were going to talk today about something I know you do a lot, um, not just creating a mood board, but also you call it making a swatch box. Oh, yeah. Um, God, I love a swatch box. You love a swatch box. I <laughs> obviously have never made a swatch box in my life. But so talk us through, is that what you do every time? You know, I might do a bit of digital pinning and we can talk about how to get your head round Pinterest. But talk us through your swatch box, Sophie. The swatch box comes after the mood board. So there is a whole sort of design process that I like to go through when I'm pulling schemes together because I like to create something that's original, that isn't just copied off stuff I've seen on Pinterest, that is relevant to the room I'm trying to create. I talk a lot about trying to create the right feeling in a space and I don't think you can just pluck it out of thin air. It's a really good idea to go through a creative process. You know, even like fine artists and sculptors, they sketch, they take photographs, they make notes, they make maquettes before they do their final piece. And really the mood boarding and the, and collecting swatches is part of that creative process. People do use Pinterest, obviously, as a source of images, and, and I do myself. But what I like to do is after I've created my selection of images that I like, is start printing them off. And I find the process of printing off images, cutting them, resizing them, seeing them next to paint swatches and chips and other images is all part for me of that creative process of does this work? Does this feel right? Maybe not this, maybe a bit more of that. It's all part of this wonderful conjuring and alchemy that has to sort of like let everything precipitate before you've brewed your perfect colour scheme, if you like. Very in-depth. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going all a bit Nigella, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, well, you are a bit, yes. Um, but I like the idea. And actually, that's something that you could really do now, couldn't you, in this time of planning? Um, can we use a tray? Is it like the memory game? Can we put everything on a tray? It's a bit like the memory game. Oh, my God, that'd be a great lockdown game. We should revive all those old childhood games. We Can we put um, a hat and gloves and scarf on and eat chocolate at the same time? <laughs> do you remember doing that one? I love that game. I think she's got a slightly off message here. Sorry, right, um, yeah, so your tray. Memory game on the tray with your swatches. Um, but, yes, so what, cutting up bits of material and then that enables you to see does it yeah what it is is you know again digital age love it brilliant ordering online obviously we can't go out and see and touch and feel the fabrics and the items that we're going to put in our home we're going to have to save that to later but I would say as part of any creative process is you get the real thing in and again I know in the UK a lot of the fabric houses are still supplying swatches of wallpaper and fabrics. So you can go online, choose, you know, what patterns and fabrics and wallpapers you like. And usually there's a minimal postal fee to send these out. And that's what you put in your swatch box because you've got to see the real colour and you've got to know what the real texture is. And you never get that off a digital screen, especially not paint. That's actually a really good point because I'm... You know, I'm not a great mood boarder, oh, as get you your know. Scissors and glue out. Um, Go on. <laughs> get my glue gun out. I like to have a look on Pinterest, and you know, as we all know, it's not just about looking at rooms on Pinterest which have been professionally photographed and decluttered and styled. You know, you have to really interrogate yourself as to why you're pinning that picture, and I think that's what we often forget when we look at Pinterest and we get sort of sucked into, oh, I can make my sitting room look exactly like that, even though it's in a different place with a different window and probably on a different continent. So I do think with Pinterest, you have to pin 
everything that catches your eye and then go through and ask yourself why you like it and whether it would translate. And it's also worth pinning rooms that you perhaps don't like the decoration of the room, but it's got a window that's the same as yours or a funny little alcove that's like something you've got so that you can see ideas that have been done with it. And I very much like to do that. But I like your point that actually you can see the real colour or feel the material because it's true I have ordered things and they've they've not felt right so actually taking the time to call in a sample and put something together yeah um, I mean you know if you if you order a jumpsuit and you decide that it's not quite the fabric that you were hoping for you know you can send it back in the post office the next day not quite so easy to do with some curtains or a sofa you have to definitely know what you're about to have delivered do you use any like um like canva or any of these apps to then take your images off pinterest and create mood boards or do you just leave them all on pinterest i can barely plug my computer in what do you mean do i use canva (laughs) of course i don't use canva what is canva so that's a free uh website c-a-n-v-a I use that quite a bit for digital mood boards and it allows you to upload pictures and it's got helpful mood boarding templates on there. So you can drop your pictures into sort of a template and it will create a nice layout for you. I've also done mood boards just using PowerPoint, which is something that I happen to have on my computer and dropping images on there, although it doesn't look quite so snazzy because I am not as bad as you, I admit, but I'm not whiz bang with tech. And then I know like some of my students who do my online courses, they use a bit more advanced pieces of tech like InDesign or Illustrator to create really beautiful digital mood I'll tell you where I could see it also being really good, the idea of creating a swatch box, is if your kids want their room redecorated. You know, it's really perhaps quite a good way to get them involved in the design. You know, it's a bit like, uh, I hate using this as a verb, but it has now apparently become a verb, scrapbooking. Why do you hate that? Why do you hate the word scrapbooking? Well, because it's not a verb, it's a noun, (laughs) a scrapbook. You stick things into a scrapbook. Um, But anyhow, that aside, what I wanted to say was, again, at this time, if the kids are at home and, you know, I had a conversation actually with my 16 year old yesterday that if he ever manages to tidy that room, then maybe at the end of this lockdown, we will redecorate it because he has a small bedroom and he's been in there a lot over the last few weeks. Um, (laughs) You, know, you are painting quite a picture. Well, he's 16. He doesn't want to talk to us. And I, you know, I get that and that's fine. But I also think that come the end of this, he's just going to look at that bedroom and associate that. So it's actually a kind of sky blue colour. I think he's going to look at it and go running, screaming for another bedroom and never want to look at it again. Right. So we've said, you know, we will, it's due a redecoration. We had some shelves put up a while ago. We've never got around to painting. So I've said to him, you know, think about some colours. But I can imagine that he might get quite into that idea of, you know, arranging paint chips or looking at bits of material and putting it together. So I think it might be a really good way to give teenagers, but also smaller children, sort of ideas for how they can put their rooms together. I've done mood boarding with primary school kids and you get some really out there results. It's really, really recommend it. It's brilliant. But for anyone who hasn't mood boarded and is even wondering what we're talking about, for me, when I'm mood boarding, I try and put 
maybe one key room image on there that sums up the look. Don't put loads and loads of rooms on your mood boards. Maybe some details, some nice styling ideas. I always think it looks really nice to put some kind of print or maybe some plants or flowers or some natural references on there. And then just some paint chips or blocks of colour, maybe three or five, no more than that, to really kind of sum up what your colour scheme is. So like I said, mood boarding is an opportunity to edit, edit, edit and curate your ideas rather than having a mood board with like... 56 images on it you're really going to be looking for like five hero images on your mood board I would say try and stick to no more than five yeah and I think that's the problem with Pinterest isn't it you you go in there thinking that you're looking at a room scheme and and you know it gets very quickly out of control and you've got a hundred pictures on there and you don't know what you're doing which is why I always say you need to go back and interrogate every single picture and then maybe delete the ones that are no good or potentially move them to, you know, that fantasy board of this is where I'm going when this is all over and it's got a veranda and a swimming pool and a wraparound deck and I ain't ever coming back. You know, that's a different post-lockdown mood board, but not actually the one (laughs) for the house you live in. Maybe I'll do a swatch box. I th- oh, God, this is just turning into su- such amazing Kate Watson Smythe revolution. <laughs> We're going to be painting a house yellow. We're going to be scrapbooking. It's all going on here. We will, we will not be scrapbooking. <laughs> we may be putting pictures into a scrapbook. Can I rein you in on that note? <laughs> I think we'll leave that there now. But we haven't finished the show because we've, as we said earlier, we're continuing with our style surgery. And we've got a great one here from Celine and her question about how to marry her boyfriend's boring style with her love of colour. So let's just have a listen to the question and then let's get stuck in. Sophie, you can help her here. Hi, so my name is Celine and I live in Canada. And so I'm French and my husband is Canadian. And I would say right now we're having a lot of trouble reconciling our styles and cultures in the decor of our house. So he likes sort of very simple beige, more like mom and pop, nothing out of the ordinary type of style and certain objects that are sort of very Canadian. And I like more uh, modern rustic, spring colors. I also love French influence like Provence stuff and colors, quirky types of antique objects and it's not at all his style. So we're pretty opposite and I would say most of the time beige and simple style ends up winning. So my question is how do you reconcile different cultures when there are predominant influences due to your background and how do you reconcile different styles to get something that sort of represents both of us in the house without getting into major fights. All right then, Sophie, you kick off because one mention of the word beige and I can see you in your duvet den quivering with fury. I mean, that poor guy, but you go first. I mean, you know, if I had a pound for every time somebody asked me how they get their husband on board with their decorating schemes, oh, it's a big thing because two people have got to live under one roof. Opposites attract, la la la, all that sort of stuff. And yet, how can you create a home where you can agree not just on styles, but also on colour? So first up, I try and, if you can, focus on what you have in common before you get too attached to fretting about your differences and try and find a common ground. Now, I'm thinking with his love of, did you say beige? 
and your love of all the kind of lovely laid back French look, you know, that can work really nicely in a neutral palette. But you are going to clearly, with your love of spring colours, need to bring some of that through in accents. So what I try and do is allow him to be in his comfort zone and maybe predominantly in your um, very communal area. Say, let's take the living room, for example. You do something that plays on neutrals, but bring in you can bring in pattern and texture and things like that and then use your love of colour as an accent. You can always sneak those in as well afterwards. I quite of, often realise they don't realise. <laughs> I think he might realise. He sounds to me like he might realise. I think one of the key things I would do to start with is to, to have that conversation about what it is he doesn't like about her colours. Because you know what they say, there's no such thing as the wrong colour, it's just the wrong shade. So, you know, we do have that kind of cultural reaction to colour. So it's possible that he looks at all those really lovely spring colours and, you know, thinks of... I don't know, some horrible teacher at his primary school. Do you know what I mean? There might be some reason why he doesn't like those colours. And I think you can start off trying to find a common ground or meet in the middle if she understands why he doesn't like it. And is his so-called mom and pop design, you know, does that for him represent home and safety? And is that why he's drawn back to it rather than trying to, do something a bit different for himself. So I think having that conversation about why you don't like each other's taste is quite a good starting point for then working out, you know, what is absolutely a veto and whether, you know, well, I would take that particular spring pink shade, but not the yellow to coin a, to coin a colour. Or I can deal with a kind of green if it's like that, but not that really bright one. And I think that helps you find out really... Firstly, what you're both absolutely wedded to and what you're absolutely not prepared to let in the house and start trying to feel out a middle way. I mean, I think it's important to um, not railroad. Somebody shouldn't feel railroaded. And actually, I think sometimes, I know my husband's a really strong character with an opinion. It's quite irritating. <laughs> Mine too. I think really, if he feels heard and that I have taken on board his feelings and opinions, then suddenly it relaxes and things can start coming in the back door a little bit later on. I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, letting someone explain themselves, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't know where you are in your relationship, but it kind of feels like this is the first time you've done a house up together, so maybe it's early days. And sometimes a partner just really wants to say, you're not railroading me, this is my house too, and this is what I like. And... My experience is that can soften as you go. And especially if you feel more passionate about interior decor than he does, then because I know that's the dynamic in my marriage is it means so much more to be me than my husband. But he is not going to let me just do my thing without his opinion being considered. I'd love to know what your house would look like if Tom oh had had God. absolutely no restraining <laughs> voice at all. That is something I would like to see. <laughs> I don't think you'd ever come round, Kate. I think. I, well, you know, it's touch and go as it is. What I would say, though, on that point of, of, you know, feeling heard and talking it all out is that, you know, it may be a slightly difficult conversation and it may be quite long and, you know, may involve a, a row or a glass of wine or seven, but you should be able to get to a point where you both actually have agreed 
together on the things you are having in your house. And that means that you will both really like them. And then you know that you're making each other happy and definitely talking it out has got to be really key. Just on the point of, um, I know we're going into this quite a lot, but it is a fascinating subject, the slow cooking approach, which has definitely been my, the way I've won the decorating wars. I remember when I first saw the House of Hackney Artemis wallpaper, probably about four or five years ago, in the bubblegum pink with the teal, lilac, orange and neon green chintzy flowers all over it. And my heart just literally... Leapt out of your chest. Did a (laughs) backflip. And I showed this watch to Tom and I was like, look at this. And he just looked at me, the blood drained out of his face. (laughs) And he just went, no. (laughs) And he was just like, no, I hate it. And it was just such a, you know, I was like, oh, there's no even comeback. There's no, oh, but I could put it it with this. I I was just like, no. So anyway, it um, stayed in my swatch box for five years, marinating away. And I was trying to do my office and, you know, and this and that. And I was looking at wall, I was thinking, oh, I need a wallpaper. Da, da, da. And I just couldn't get this crazy wallpaper out of my mind. And I finally bought it out again. And then, do you know what I did? I ordered it without telling him by justifying that it was my office, right? But to be fair, he does have a desk. He does have a desk in it. And it's also our dining room for when we have friends over. So not technically 100% my space but that's how I justified it and I ordered it and I booked the wallpapers and then I told him I'm not recommending listeners that you do this but it went up on the walls that's no I that that would have been really bad in yeah my house. well no it would have been really bad with my husband because he does not like having the wall pull under his eyes but actually <laughs> this is just one of those blissful triumphs it went up and he was like wow I love it and I actually said to the decorators, I bet he won't remember that he saw this five years ago and hated it and I'm not going to bring that up. No, absolutely. I'm just going to get it up there. So, so there, there you go. You, there you go. I think, Celine, your answer is, firstly, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> you plant those seeds and you just let them germinate for a bit and you have a lot of dialogue. So I hope that's helped you. So if there's anyone else out there contending with design culture clash, we'd love to hear the details and also any of your solutions as to how you've got round the decorating wars. So do keep your style surgery questions coming. You just need to send us a voice memo on your phone and the email address is thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And if you'd like a bit of help with the recording, there are some simple instructions on the Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. As ever, there'll be more detail about everything you've listened to on this show with links and pictures to illustrate over on our blogs. Mine can be found at sophierobinson.co.uk and Kate over at madaboutthehouse.com. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. We've been getting some lovely reviews through lately. Uh, we've got this gorgeous one here from Gail from Style & Source, which we found over on the Apple Podcast app. This is what she had to say. Kate and Sophie, has anyone told you how hilarious you two are? Not only that, but I just love, love, love your honesty, integrity and realness in all that you deliver and discuss on your podcast, but also in your conviction to your own designs. Congrats on lifting our spirits, inspiring our creativity and basically making us laugh with you. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you, Gail. And we shall jolly well keep going with the laughter and the disagreements. That's not about to stop anytime soon. Thanks also to our sponsors, Geberit, and to our producer, Kate Taylor, particularly long-suffering at the moment with all the tech. And of course, thanks so much to all of you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Well done, girls. Sophie, are you listening? Yes, I can hear you. Okay.